0: Welcome, Pastor Gary Mason to the pulpit. Praise God. Tony. Chance. Brother, love you, man. You don't need that, do you? Thank you, Do I need to? I need to.
1: You got it. We try to be so smooth, right? There it is. It says I'm on. What's that? I want to just tell the kids you can go downstairs now. Sorry. <laughs> what? I have to go downstairs now? Well, no,
0: you Only if you want. I just got up.
1: Well, let's do this. In our church, just before we do it, we have our kids up during worship. Okay. And then just before we let them go, we, we bless them. So that's, they could go with just bless them anyway. How's that? <laughs> that's good. Father, you said in your word that children are an inheritance from you and a blessing from you. And so right now, with our words, we declare all those young people a blessing in the name of Jesus. Come on, just declare them a blessing in the name of Jesus. We thank you for our inheritance in them. And, Father, we just we commit and honor you, and we commit to just be faithful towards the next generation, Father God that that will be known like Abraham as a people who will, who will live for you and who will teach the generation to come. Yes. And teach it with our words and teach it with our lives. Amen. In the name of Jesus, bless them downstairs. Thank you for the anointing on them to receive. Thank you for the anointing on the teachers to teach them in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 All right. Well, they can sit down, can't they, Jonathan? Yes, they can. Okay. All right. <laughs> It is such an intense blessing to be with you today. I, I, uh, I think uh, Beth, many of you remember my wife Beth. We, the other day we, we went to Starbucks and I thought we'd just get a couple of coffees, sit down and relax and everything. But I only had 20 bucks so I just bought one and we shared. But
0: <laughs>
1: nah, It's really not true, it's just a good joke. But speaking of Beth... She really wanted to be with you today and everything. She's going to be here for, we'll be here for the minister's conference and everything, but uh, we just couldn't, but she wanted to send her love and her blessing to you as well. So I do that right now. I have her love, her blessing, okay? So if you're talking to her at the minister's conference, I did it, right? Okay. This is important. So... uh, Beyond that, you know, one of the places that we come, I've I've thought about how do you start uh, whenever you you go somewhere else and you're ministering. It's it's different in your own house. You just kind of start because everybody knows you. You're there, and that's just all there is to it. And and you see them every week. You see them a number of times every week, and so you just start. and, And I was thinking about how to start today, and I began to think about how over the years... You know, when I was in uh, Prince Albert with Glenn for we were there for 20 years, Beth and I. And uh, there was a couple who had come to some of our events. And, you know, I was, I mean, there was times when I was the youth leader. I was the children's ministry director. I was the principal of the school. I taught in Bible school. I did all that. But there were times when I was just the children's church guy. And it—I it, I was, I was, n- In my own eyes, I didn't think of myself as much at all. Other than, I knew I had to be faithful. I knew I was in my place. I just, if you began to look at, you know what I mean, right? Like, you you know what I mean, right? So you're looking at me like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, we're all just, I mean, I know what the Word says. I know what the Word says. And I knew who I was in Christ. That was never the thought. The thought was when I think about ministers and who would want to hang out with ministers and who would want to be with ministers, it just was, you know, David and Brownie would come and Beth and I would be there and they'd have a hospitality for all the ministers and David and Brownie would come and sit with us when I was nothing. Excuse the expression. I know I wasn't nothing, but when I was nothing. David and Brownie would come and sit with us. And you don't know how it impacted my life as a minister to think that David and Brownie sat with us. I I went to Bible school in in Christian Center, and David came and preached and and did a couple of things for us there and and a couple of sessions. And and when he did that, you know, and I'd seen him in my dad's church. I'd seen him in uh, Prince Albert and different things over the years. But he was one of those guys you know, like when, when David started to preach the word, it was like, whoa. I was, that was who I was at the time anyway. And so having said that, uh, but David and Brownie would sit with us. And there was something that happened in my heart and in Beth's heart towards the two of you in that day. And as a result, I hope you understand and know that that, that means there's something that happened in our hearts towards all of you in that day. And it's warm up here, so it's okay. I'm going to take off my jacket. It's all right. Thank you, Jonathan. I will take these. And then, somewhere along the way, I don't even know exactly where it was along the way, but we met Jonathan. And uh, it's just, you know, covenant gets passed from generation to generation. And so uh, that relationship that had begun there just took off here as well. And I, I know that Jonathan's always been deep in our hearts. And I know from sitting with him and time with him that we've spent together that there's a connection in the Spirit. And that's worth more than than all the other things. I know in, in our lives, we're made richer by the relationships that we have. When it, when it says in Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone, I know he's talking about specifically marriage there, but I believe it's a principle that God has put that we are not meant to be alone. We're supposed to be in relationship together. And so I know that this is a God thing. It's a great thing. Um, one of the first ministers we had down in Medicine Hat was Jonathan and Tia. And so... That was pretty awesome. That was a lot of fun. And we had burgers and everything with the youth afterwards, and, and they, just, they were a blessing to our church. They were a great blessing to our church. And, and you know what? Now, when I see Jonathan get up and speak, he did the offering today, and I thought, whoa, just like I used to with David. I, I had supper with him last night, and I could have just sat there and listened all night long, except he got me too stirred up, and then I started talking <laughs> back to him. And so... Preachers do that with each other. (laughs) But praise the Lord. So I'm here today. I have a word that I believe God sent with me. I didn't, I never want to stand in the pulpit. I never want to stand in, we call it, I call it a holy desk. And and I never want to stand in a holy desk and not stand there with something that God said to say. I think it uh, cheapens the gospel. But having heard what Jonathan said about Nathaniel and everything, I think I'll just stand here and let you see the gospel. (laughs) Is that okay? I'll just walk back and forth. (laughs) Last April, we we were involved with a number of churches and some initiatives in our city. One of them was specifically our initiative, but there was two other initiatives that had uh, people coming into town and we were doing things with them. And we had booked three different evangelists during that month. There were guys that I booked. Uh, two of them were guys that I booked out of a relationship. But they were for citywide things. About a month before the youth one, the, uh, all the citywide youth network decided they couldn't do it. And, you know, when you, you, know, when you book someone, you want to just say, well, we're having you and, and that's it. All of a sudden, this came down. And I thought, oh, man, now what am I supposed to do? Because I know in the natural where the church finances are at. I, I, we started down there with a 25,000-square-foot building. You could probably put three of your buildings in ours. Is that about right? I'm just guessing. So it's a huge building. We arrived. I was just telling Brownie that first Sunday we had 20 people, 12 of them we brought from Prince Albert. <laughs> I was, um, being the great preacher that I am, eloquent in speech and all of that, I, I effectively preach us down to two. <laughs> but thank God today we're just a little beyond 50, thank God. And, it, and, and it's interesting along the way because you, we took over something that had a lot of reputation. It had been there since the 40s. So, it had a lot of reputation, not all of it great. And so, having to go in and tear up all that ground and rebuild foundations and start over again was a lot of work. It was always worth it. Every last bit, it was worth it. But having said that, one of the things that happened last year when we, we were, we have really worked to build relationships with other churches. So I had these three things going on that one was what, you know, Mark Davey. One of them was Mark Davey coming. He was just coming to our church. And, and every time Mark Davey comes, I think about his numbers and, and how he's worked that thing down. And $2 and he gets a soul saved. I think that's so worth it. I want to I give a big offering to him. I want to send him off and help him to do what God's called him to do. Did you get his latest thing? Yeah. That's good. Anyway, he, uh, he was coming, and then we had these two citywide initiatives that I had booked people for to come in, and, and I was kind of the, the uh, what do you call it? I was the coordinator. I was the mouthpiece for the city. <laughs> anyway, a uh, month before it, all the citywide youth said we can't do it. So I thought, oh, now... I, I guess I got to cancel it because we just don't have finances. And uh, I've got these other two things and everything, so what can I do? And, and so I, I called them and I said, uh, I know you're coming. And it was Fresh IE, You know Fresh I. I know you're coming. I know you said you'd do this and everything. And, and, but they've canceled, and so I don't have anything for you. Um, and I said, but give me a couple of days to pray. I said, at this point, I don't know how I do it, but give me a couple of days to pray. Showed up Sunday morning. I woke up Sunday morning. God said, You be a man of your word. And so I called him back Sunday and said, We're going to have you. I told the church, We're having them anyway, so let's get ready. And we, we devised our own youth conference that weekend and went ahead and had it. And thank God he came same time, Mark Davey was coming and another person, David McFarlane, was coming. who represented the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Very evangelistic. So what happened in that month as a result of others canceling out their things, we ended up with a super dose of evangelists in our house <laughs> in one month. And within a few weeks before that, we had had another one. So you see, I began to see, and I'd always thought, God, I want to spend one of these one of these years, I'm going to spend a whole year on just reaching out. And so God said, well, you always want to do a year on reaching out. Here's your start. And so we just, I had every one of those guys pray over our church and release a spirit of evangelism. And, uh, you know, later on, Shortly after that we had the chariots of light come. I became a chariot of light on my motorcycle. I got my vest and everything and, and uh, Doug Clan and a bunch came from uh, Edmonton down and laid hands on us and we have now 10, I think 10 members in our church for chariots of light and we began, that was another thing. It was just, okay, every time you ride, every time you put on that vest, every time you think about that vest and what you're wearing, you think about souls. You think about reaching out. You know, when you're pastoring a church, you get to know who you have and, and you get to know the culture of the house. One of the things that God brought us in the medicine had to do. And we've had prophetic words from David McGrew, uh, Tony Miller, um, Wenzel and some others, uh, Mark Barkley, just to name a few, that said the same thing to us. One of the things that we were there to do was to rebuild broken down walls and to take people who have been broken in church, had experience in church, been broken, and to restore them. That's been a, It's been a challenge because each one of those people comes with a certain mindset of what the culture is supposed to look like. Many of them got saved and went out and reached out to a lot of people and got a bunch of other people saved, got them in a church. But then they went through what they considered was their sphere of influence and then stopped. Have you ever noticed that? And they stopped going out beyond that. They said, okay, now it's your turn. I did it, now it's your turn. And they took the people that they got saved and said, now you go. Nothing wrong with saying, hey, I got you saved. Now you go get some others saved. This is a good thing. The problem is when you stop because I don't have anybody else to reach now. So we, uh, we're talking about the evangelistic heart. We're talking about reaching out. And in a... I'd preach messages about how Jesus said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. And I taught all the, you know, I did all the good evangelistic messages. And uh, we had, we've been having some success. I I personally, I put on my vest one night. I was with my wife. We just had a healing conference at the church. And I went to, uh, on the way home, my wife is never hungry in the evening. She's just not. Well, we're riding our bikes. We come to a stop sign, and she says, I'm hungry. And I said, you're what? And the light changed green, and I went to the next stoplight. And we stopped again. She pulls up beside me and says, I'm hungry. I said, you're never hungry at night. And she said, well, I'm I'm hungry right now. I said, okay. Uh, Well, the only thing between us and home is Tim Hortons. Let's go there. So I ride over to Tim Hortons, get off the bike, go inside, sit down. And, uh, of course, I'm all leathered up. My bike's sitting outside. You ever notice that police officers notice bikers?
0: <laughs>
1: RCMP officer, he comes in and, uh, and he, he leans over and starts talking to us. So, uh, is that your bike out there? Yep, yeah, that's my bike. And he starts talking to me and he's checking out the patch. And then he realizes I'm a Christian. Conversation goes on and, and he, he leaves the conversation three times. But he keeps coming back. We did, in the midst of those uh, conversations, he would talk about how, uh, actually, there's a gentleman who's an army chaplain in the U.S. and Afghanistan. He gave all the Psalms 91 cards from Kenneth Copeland. You guys heard that story, right? Most of you, some of you have. Anyway, he gave this, this Psalms 91 card, talks about protection. They all held it, they kept it, and that whole detachment came back. So he said, I met that chaplain one day and he gave me one of those cards. I have it right here. And I'm thinking, hmm. And I'm just watching and listening to, and I I like to think of myself as a Christian, is what he said and everything. And, And I'm just waiting for the Holy Ghost to set this thing up. The fourth time he comes back to me and he starts talking, I said, So you like to think of yourself as a Christian? And he said, Yeah. I said, Well,. How would you like to know that you're a Christian? And over the course of that, he leaned right over the counter at Tim Hortons. 10, 10 15 at night, he leans over the counter, and we're praying with him, and he lead, and we led him to Christ right there.
0: Praise
1: Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I, have a, I have a favorite Starbucks. I, have a, I, I, I like Starbucks. I have a favorite Starbucks in town and then people that get to know me think that's my Starbucks. It's not really my Starbucks. And everybody in there knows me but it's not that I go every day. It's just when I do go, I talk to everybody. If we got a young man who who sits in there and he's, he's not a Christian. He says he's an atheist and ag- agnostic. And the last time I talked to him, he said, well, you know, if I was any religion, it would be I'd be Buddhist because they're searching for peace. And it's that eternal search for peace. I said, really? Well, we should talk sometime because I have found peace. No, you haven't. I said, yes, I have. Well, we should talk sometime. He's working, so we couldn't talk. But, but I will yet talk to him about it. He has, he's in art school, and all of his art is black and full of death. I mean, his skulls and this and everything. It's, it's, he's an incredible artist, but it's very dark. And so every time he shows it, he's just got to show me his dark art. Look at this. This is awesome. And, well, you're, you're a great artist. You understand, though, that as who I am as a Christian and everything. And I love life. This is not my bend. He said, I know, you, I know that you don't agree with my art. But is it good? I said, it's amazing. Because he's an amazing artist. And, the, and it's just pulling him more and more and more and more in. And I'm just watching God make that connection. There's a... A lady there, she was making my coffee and she's sniffling and sneezing and coughing and, and I said how are you doing today? She said oh well, I'm uh, I haven't been well for about three weeks and I just can't get over this thing I've been to the doctor a number of times they give me this prescription, that prescription, I just can't get over it. I said really I said shake my hand all I did was shake my hand so she shook my hand and I looked at her and I said okay right now there's healing power going into your body. And she said, what? I said, well, the Bible says they lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And she said, what does that mean? I said, well, when I was born again, when Jesus came into my life, he brought power, life from God into me. And so when I touched you, life came into you and it's going to heal you. She said, well, I don't know about all that. I said, that's okay. I know about it, and you don't have to. I said, you know, it doesn't even say that I have to pray for you. All it says that I need to lay hands on you. I touched you. Healing is yours right now. I come in the next day, and I said, so? And she said, like an hour later, I was better. God's moving at Starbucks. Thank you, Jesus. Not just Tim Hortons. So it doesn't matter whether you like Tim Hortons, Starbucks, or a second cup. We, do, we don't have a second cup. Otherwise, I'd do it there too. But you start to think I like coffee. I really only drink one or two cups a day. But anyway. Uh, gas station. Walk into the gas station, get to know the, the people there. I'm always talking to them. I like to talk to people. I, now, I didn't always like to talk to people. I was the kind of guy, actually, back in the days when I first met Brownie, uh, I'd have just been happy to find a spot in the mountains and uh, grow my beard long, look like a duck hunter. And uh, and I, I could have just lived there in a log cabin just by myself. I could have been that guy. But, but God said you weren't created for that. Thank God. Today, I love what I do. And I thank God that I'm not alone on a mountain. That's a good thing, right, Brownie? Okay. So I'm in there, and I'm and uh, I'm grabbing a coffee on my way to prayer in the morning. We open on on uh, Tuesdays and Friday at six o'clock for prayer. And so I'm grabbing a coffee on. By the way, hey, Brownie, we have a house. We live in a house now. Last spring, we got out of the church and lived in... Well, we're still in church, but we don't live in the church. We were living in the building for five years. So, Anyway, thank God. So, on my way to work, I stopped for coffee. And uh, I hear the girl say to the other girl, she says, Oh, man, you better pray for me. Neither one of them are Christians. Neither one are Christians. She says, You better pray for me today. I need help. And I'm pouring my coffee. What? <laughs> and so I said i paying for my coffee and I said so do you know that uh, that I'm, I'm a pastor you know me I've met you before you know do you realize I'm a pastor she said yeah I said well I'm on my way to church right now to pray she said oh you just asked her to pray for you I said yes so how about I pray for you? Okay. I said, okay, I'm going to church and I'm going to make, I'm going to take some time. And I'm going to pray for you. And then I looked at the other girl and I said, Anne, I'll pray for you too. Oh, but I did ask for prayer. It's okay. I'll pray for you too. Okay. So I go to church, I'm praying. And not only did I, I, I got a scripture for both of them from the Holy Spirit. So I go back to the thing and I said, so it's, you know, I'm, was it prayer this morning. I told you I'd pray. And God gave me a scripture for both of you. I believe God speaks to us and he wants to speak to you through his word right now. Are you ready? And I said, really? And so I gave them both their scriptures. I said, would you like me to text it to you? She th- they said, yes. So I had it, I had it ready on the text. All I had to do was put in their number. So I put it in there and send it, put it in there, and send it. And they're like, wow. Then Gary Strigary goes to our church. He's a uh, on our worship team. He's a mechanic. He does the, uh, and he buys guests there a lot. So he goes in and they're like, the other Gary, apparently that's me. <laughs> the other Gary came in and he gave us like scriptures and was praying for us. Yeah, that's cool. A couple weeks later, I go in, how are you doing today? She says, well, I, I, I don't know. My, my life is just like this. And then she starts telling me about, it. and her life's a bit of a wreck. And And she said, but I I just don't know. I said, well, how would you like to know what your purpose is? How would you like to know what God's plan for you is? Remember that scripture that I gave you? Because it was all about the purpose plan. It was Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a plan for you. She said, yeah. She said, well. And so right there, she leans over the counter, and I lead her to Christ. And I said, now when Gary comes in, the Bible says... If you confess him before men, he'll confess you before his father. So when Gary comes in, you tell him. I actually happened to be with Gary when he came in the next time. And I'm standing there, and she's, I can't remember what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell him you ask Jesus into your heart. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. So she. She told him, and he went, "Wow, that's great." My wife and I come by with the Joyce Meyer devotionals. She's reading that. She's going through. Her uh, daughter went missing for a few days, and all through that, she was in contact with us, and she's, and she's, she's just so close to coming to church. Her daughter, she took her daughter to youth, and they got scared, and drove away. But we're working on
0: them.
1: We're working on them. Anyway, I could go on with story after story after story. How when we began to look for it. It was was actually that, that police officer that Friday night. I said, God, it's been like two weeks since I led somebody to Christ. I need to do it today. I'm tired of this. I want one today. I want a soul. That's what I said. It was... And that morning, it was Friday morning, and I was at prayer. I said, God, it's been two weeks, and I want one today. I was looking everywhere. 10 o'clock at night, I'm riding home, and, ah, well, I guess. I didn't say this. Thank God I didn't say this. Oh, well, I guess it didn't. Could have went through my head, but I'm just driving home. I put it kind of out of my head so that I don't think the wrong thing. And Beth says, I'm hungry. Why do I say that? Let's go. Let's open our Bibles. It's good to open your Bible in church, right? Whatever form, fashion that may be, I'm going to use my iPad today, if that's all right, Jonathan. I remember that we have a citywide uh, Good Friday service that we do, and, and I remember the first one where every preacher used an electronic device. It was kind of funny. Anyway, let's. Uh, we're going to open up to Matthew. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and then we're going to talk about them a little bit. All right? Yeah. Is okay with you? Yeah. All right. Let's go to Matthew 17. Hmm. Praise the Lord.
0: We'll
1: start in verse 14 here. And when they approached the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling before him and saying, Lord, do pity and have mercy on my son. This is in the Amplified. I should maybe read. I'll read it from the New American Standard because Jonathan's here. (laughs) Let's start at verse 14 again. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, and he often falls into the fire and often in the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. That's, uh, I mean, the Amplified says, verse 17, this way. And Jesus answered, Oh, you unbelieving, warped, wayward, rebellious. I think Jesus was upset. Can you imagine if we as pastors talk to our leaders that way? <laughs> he goes on to say, And thoroughly perverse generation, How long am I to remain with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. You ever think about why he was so upset? Let's, let's jump real quick over to Matthew chapter 10. We'll come back here though, Okay. In verse 1, I want you to see this. And Jesus summoned to him his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of diseases and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. So Jesus has just gave them power. Now let's go over. I want you to see it in a couple places. Let every word be established out of two or three witnesses, right? So let's go to Mark 6. And uh, we'll start probably around verse 7. And he called to him the 12 apostles. Oh, I, I keep jumping to the Amplified. I'll stay in New American just for Jonathan. And he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should not Uh, that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said unto them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Now remember, he just said he summoned them and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointed with oil, many sick people, and healing them. So these are guys who Jesus had been spending time with. Jesus is training them to be disciples. He's training them to even be beyond that. He's training them to be apostles. He's training them to be fishers of men. He's training them for the call of God that in their life. He sends them out with power. They go out with power, and they do the work. They've been out successful in ministry. They've cast out devils. They've seen all this stuff. They've seen the uh, sick healed and, and all of that, and they're just excited. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. Verse 17, now you understand, oh, you unbelieving, warped, wayward, rebellious, and thoroughly perverse generation. What are you guys doing? I showed you how to do this. You know how to do this. You've been successful at this. You have been here before. What's the problem? All right, fine. Bring them to me. I'll take care of it. I, I may be adding a little emphasis there. But I think, I don't know about you, but I have this relationship with God where uh, I like him to talk real straight with me. My, my pastor, Glenn Stead, uh, years ago, I said, listen, I've submitted my life and ministry here, and I submit to you in that way. As my pastor, I don't ever want you to beat around the bush with me. Don't play games with me. Just tell me straight out. Guess what? He took me up on that and treated me that way. And as long as I've been with him, he just tells me straight. And there are times when he tells me straight and leaves the room. Pick up my job, put it back where it's supposed to be, and go out and do what God's told me to do. But nonetheless, I like it straight. I think that Jesus is just talking straight with these guys. Guys, what's wrong? You know how to do this. It's not like this is a bigger devil. One of the things that uh, some years ago somebody was talking to me and they were talking about how some demons are just big enough that we need to get others to help us. And I I thought about that, you know, Jonathan, I, I don't see that anywhere in the word of God. You can't find anywhere where he says, well, you know, this demon of sickness you can deal with, but this demon over here that's over this whole people, you can't touch that one because you're not big enough. The authority of the name of Jesus that's been given to you has been given to you. Now, I will also say this, though. I, I read the book. I know where the centurion comes and says, I have faith, and I know that I'm a man under authority, and so... I have authority, you're under authority, you have authority, so I also know that you don't want to be dealing with demons if you're not under authority, because you're standing out there with no authority. And uh, seven sons of Sceva, you remember, beat them up and run them off naked. I don't know about you, I don't want that, so I'm submitted to my authority. So that when I do step out, I have the authority to speak. Okay, Jesus is looking at it, saying, "Guys, this isn't a bigger demon. It's not something you haven't run into before. What's the problem? Bring them here to me. We'll take care of it, and I'll teach you some more." Throughout his, do you, you remember when Jesus? We're, we're going to run into a word here right away called unbelief. Throughout Jesus' ministry, whenever he ran into unbelief, he went out teaching. Okay. Let's keep reading here for just a sec. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to him privately and said, why could we not drive it out? Now, before we get into that, let's go over to Mark, because we're going to see the same story there, but I want you to hear some things. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. What time did I start, Jonathan? Better yet, what time am I done, Jonathan? Jonathan. Yeah, I say that to people that come to my church too. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Verse 14. And when they, uh, let's do New American again. Okay? When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Okay, so see the pictures. They come back to the disciples. Jesus comes and he looks. The disciples, there's a large crowd around them and the scribes are arguing. Immediately, this is the same story. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running to greet him. Jesus is here. I would too, wouldn't you? Okay. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered unto them and said, "O unbelieving generation, again amplified, without any faith, how long shall I have to do with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So... Same story. We just read it. We're about to read that Jesus is about to cast the devil out of it. Pay attention to what happens here. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and forming at the mouth. Jesus casts the devil out of him, and he falls to the ground and begins forming at the mouth. Does this look like... It worked. He's rolling around, foaming at the mouth. Delivered people don't necessarily roll around and foam at the mouth. If we were to look at this today, many would say that he was having an epileptic seizure. Same kind of thing, right? So, I want to pray for you. Deliver you, and the very thing that's been happening to you goes and ha- happens right there in front of me. Does this affect Jesus? No. Now, the other guys stood there and argued, Well, how come it didn't work? You see the difference? Jesus didn't stop and talk about how come it didn't work. Because in Jesus' mind, it worked. It's like when we go over to the the, uh, demoniac at the Gadarenes in in the tombs and he's breaking chains and he comes to Jesus and Jesus commands the devil come out of him and then he looks and says, what's your name? So many people, I have heard preachers tell you, well, you need to get the name of the devil so you can cast it out. But that's not what happened there, folks. That's not what happened at all. I... I don't care what the devil's name is. He has to go. And Jesus operated in faith. So when he said, come out, he didn't look and say, so now that you're still there, tell me your name. (laughs) If it was this brother here, he said, come out. Now he looks at him and says, what's your name? He's not expecting that demon to speak. He wants to know that man's name. The other day I was, I was uh, in our Bible study and we're, we're going over uh, Kenneth Copeland's new book, The Blessing. And uh, as we were doing it, he, uh, uh, some of the ladies were uh, asking me some questions and we kind of got a little off track. And, and uh, at the end, we just took a little bit of time and I, I made this statement to them. So I want you to just think about what's hindering you. And uh, we're just going to deal with it right now because you have the blessing of God in your life. And they began to think about it. And one of the ladies said, well, what if I know something's hindering me, but what if I don't know what it is? I said, that's okay. It doesn't matter. It still has to bow its knee. Sometimes we get so focused on trying to figure out what it is we're dealing with that we make that so big that the name of Jesus won't work anymore. It's not that the name of Jesus don't work, but we just don't expect it to work anymore. Okay. Praise the Lord. Do you love me? Yeah. All right. Good. I'm glad, glad to be here with you. I hope you're glad I'm here with you. <laughs> uh, and he asked his father, verse 21, let's go there. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, It's. says, has often thrown him both into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, here is a perfect example for Jesus to say, No, 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 you don't understand. If you believe... And you have no unbelief. But he doesn't do that. And the reason that he doesn't do that is I, I've come to understand and to know that while I have belief in my spirit, man, I can have unbelief in my head. We just saw the story, we just read it now from two different places. Here in Mark, it becomes more clear that the disciples were casting this devil out and he was making a fuss. And they were allowing what they saw to change what they believe. And their soulish realm, mind, will, emotions, was telling them it didn't work. And Jesus said, well, let's, let's keep going. And when Jesus noticed the crowd of people, he came running together. Oh, no, um, I went back to the Amplified for a minute and up a few verses. Mm. When Jesus saw the crowd, verse 25, was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. The boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why this could not, why we, why could we not drive it out? And he said unto them, this kind comes out by anything. Uh, this cannot, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, I want us to go back because I want you to see there's a, more of an explanation in Matthew chapter 7 of this part of it, okay? Oh, oh Sorry, Matthew 17. I said 7, but I meant 17, right? Yeah. Jonathan was with me. Okay. This is where Jesus said to him, I'm going to go over to the New King James for just a moment. Okay. Verse 17, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief. I know it says, uh, many of the other translations talk about little faith or lack of faith and, and all of that. New American Standard does. But I pulled out the New King James, King James. There's a number of other translations as well that say, because of your unbelief. And what I want you to see is that while you can have faith in your spirit, see what? We read in Romans uh, chapter 12 verse 3 that we have all been given the measure of faith, right? Every one of us has been given the measure of faith. We have faith. You don't have to bring him to church for Jonathan to pray for him because Jonathan has faith because you have the same faith. It's not like, oh, he has super faith. I have faith light. He's got faith full steam. My faith is decaf. No, it's not like that. It's full lead, right on. Everybody has it. The issue oftentimes is not amount, the amount of faith that we have. It's the amount of unbelief that we have. Let me read for you a, a, let me read for you a definition of... Oh, i got to find it here. It's in here. I use all these different things. A definition of unbelief for you, okay? Here we go. Definition of unbelief. Incredulity or skepticism, especially in matters of religious faith. Skepticism have you ever talked to someone and said, Jesus wants to heal you, and I believe he can, but I'm a little skeptic. I don't know. I'm just not sure. Well, he, maybe he wants to teach me something. This is unbelief. It's just a skepticism when they begin to question. When you begin to question the validity of the word, you're stepping into unbelief. When, when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to pray for Spiros so that Spiros can be healed. And you stop and think, what if it doesn't happen? Mm. There's a sign of unbelief.
0: That's
1: right. Over the years, I remember a gentleman that we prayed for and, you know, he, he never got over this. I can't remember two, three different occasions coming to our church in Prince Albert where we prayed for him or a guest minister prayed for him, elders prayed for him, saw him get out of his wheelchair and walk. But the issue being is that he always walked right back and sat in his wheelchair. I walked today, but I don't know about tomorrow. He had faith to be, to, to be healed. And yet time and time again, his unbelief, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'll have to get a job. I'll have to become my own source. Because he lived on all assistance and everything. He, he was actually pretty open with us. I'm afraid of what will happen afterwards. Healed. Walking. And then walk back and sit down in that wheelchair and wheel himself home. And the next day, he could barely move it, like he'd have to lift his legs again. The issue wasn't his belief system. It was his unbelief that was outweighing it. Unbelief, if you allow unbelief in your life, it will always sap the strength out of your faith. Uh, I said this to Jonathan last night. What, what God downloads to your spirit, you process through your soul. When you were born again, you were made a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away. All things made new, right? 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 So if everything's made new, how come I still look the way I do? How come I still have issues that I still have? How does, because what was made new was the real me, my spirit man. Romans 12, 1 and 2, two of the most powerful verses for any Christian that wants to live a life for God. Present your body a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you don't do those two things, you don't get your soul back in line with the Word of God, if you don't take your body and say, no, you're not going to do that, I don't care what you want, then you'll never live a holy, powerful life for God. I have this habit now since I moved to Alberta. I don't know. It's cowboy country, right? So... Now I do this thing where I preach and I throw this point out and throw that point out and throw that point out and then I take my lariat and I throw it around and I pull it all together. Lariat preaching. So here's the point that I'm trying to get to. I began talking about evangelism. I began talking about reaching out. I began talking about how um, this year in our church, it's been a real big push that God has put on the inside of us to really reach out to the lost. And my story is I shared my stories, but there are other stories in our church. There are other people who are finding the same success. And, and you know, one, one sows a seed, one waters and one harvests. And we've seen harvest. We've seen watering. We've seen people receiving the word. It's all coming around and that begins to build momentum and that's happening for us we're we're on the verge of some pretty big momentum what god's doing all of that said now i go to the unbelieving i go to this i recognized this one day when i was reading this these were the people in jesus church that he sent out to reach the lost What would have happened if Jesus hadn't been there to say, Bring him to me, we'll get this thing fixed up? It's all right to say this, Jonathan. I believe that those guys would have developed another doctrine based on their experience.
0: That's a very good point.
1: You know why I believe that, Brian? Because I see it through a lot of the church today. Is that right? And so what we have to see is that it's so easy. These were guys that were being trained in person by Jesus. You kind of get in your head like, oh, 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 if only I was one of the disciples. Oh, yeah, he could call you a wicked and perverse generation. (laughs) He could call you faithless. And I tell you what, it's one thing if Jonathan calls me faithless, but when Jesus looks at me and says, you faithless, boy, I'm like, oh, that one hurts. (laughs) These are the guys that Jesus sent out. And if Jesus hadn't been there, they likely would have developed A thought process, well, maybe God doesn't heal everybody. Maybe God doesn't deliver everybody. Maybe, hmm, let's think about this. Maybe there's something that God wants to teach these people. Hmm, I can just see the development, can't you? So who was it that sinned, Jesus? Because he's asked that question in another case. Well, wasn't that anybody's sin, but today you see the glory of God. That's right. You and I, I was just reading in a, oh, now I have to go find it. It just slips my mind. Paul said that we get to adorn the doctrine. Yeah, it's in Titus. Titus, that's where it is. He said that you would adorn the doctrine. And I read that one day and I thought, wow, adorning. When women adorn themselves, women don't, we're not as good at it. My wife adorns herself much better than I do. Matter of fact, I showed up today and I said to Jonathan, how do I look? And he said, you look like your wife came and helped you. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a compliment because on your own, boy, you are sunk. (laughs) That's probably true, but it's not the point today. But ladies, when they adorn themselves, they do. I mean, I think about my wife when she's adorning herself. She's got her (laughs) embellishments and and you can't... Because you can't just put on a dress, then you have to get... and, and sometimes it goes the other way. I bought a necklace. I need a dress. Of course. Well, why didn't you buy a necklace that went with your dress? Well, because I like this necklace. And then, of course, that means shoes. That means a jacket. That means all the other stuff that goes with that. But what is she doing when she's doing that? Or what are ladies doing when they're doing that? They're making themselves attractive. And so when he said, adorn the doctrine, I mean, do you, do you realize I get to make the doctrine of Christ attractive? We we go to ministers' conferences, you know, some of the whole thing today is, well, you need to dumb it down a little bit, make it easier to swallow. It's a little more palatable. Don't be so... Don't be so, you know, doctrinish, be a little more encouraging. But wait a minute. According to the Word, the doctrine can be attractive. I do, however, believe this, that the only time the doctrine is attractive is when the person or the people, the church who are preaching it, are living it. Yes. I think it becomes pretty unattractive. There's a lot of people in the world that say, well, the world doesn't want to hear about Jesus. That's not true. This summer, as I've been really focusing on reaching others for Christ and reaching out to others, I've discovered that everybody out there that I talk to, the unsaved people, they want to hear about it. Yes. There's a lot of church people who are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I say, okay, whatever, see you later. Lord, bring me to someone who's hungry. And inevitably, he brings me the lost. You want to hear some statistics? Is that okay? All right. I found these statistics at uh, LifeWay Research Online. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Useful statistics, this is what I put in my, I put this in my journal under useful statistics. 82% of the unchurched, Now we're not talking about people who've been in church, we're talking unchurched, this is North America, 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. 82% of people that don't go to church, don't have anything to do with church, when they were asked, would you go to church? Well, if I was invited. 82% 82% said they'd likely go. I began listening to my people and to other people in different churches about how they reach out. Do you know who they typically ask? The churched. Or the churched who are upset with the church. I had a gentleman, he, he comes to our church now, and he said to me, uh, he said, well, I love what you're saying. And every, he came and sat down. I, we had a little conference between him and his wife and another couple. <coughs> they were leaving their church. They were doing some things that were kind of funny and with the board and everything. And, and I actually went back to the pastor and talked to him about it. And he said, Gary, I'm glad they're coming to you because they need to go somewhere. This is, it's not going to, there's, we have issues and they're not going to work here. I'm glad they're coming to you because I know they'll get what they need. Thank God for that. But when they came and sat with me, I told them who we were and how we operate. And they said, this is awesome. And one gentleman looked across the desk at me and he said, man, if this is all true, and he has since told me it's all true. He said, I can fill your church in a week. I said, really? I said, well, go ahead. I'm waiting for it. He hasn't been able to do it because what he was looking at was, I know all these disgruntled people. There's a couple of them that have come, but they're so disgruntled that they're... Now, the same guy has a great anointing on his life as an evangelist. If he'd just do it. And when he first got saved, he was reaching out to everybody that was lost. Now all he's doing is reaching out to the... the, Saved who aren't going to church. These statistics are not the saved who aren't going to church. These statistics, statistics are specifically those who are unchurched. Let me give you some more. Only 2% of the church members invite unchurched person to church. That means 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year to an unchurched person. And that's because we've told ourselves they don't want to hear it. While the media makes us look bad, they don't really want to come to church with me. Are you kidding me? They're watching you. They're looking at your life and saying, boy, I wish I had what they had. I remember the time I went to work. I was uh, in my 20s working at Superstore. And at the end of the day, we take our cash and we go into the back room there, give the cash to the ladies who were basically the bank for the store, and they were doing all their stuff. So I took my till box and I went and I gave it to them, and she takes it from me. And I'm smiling away. How are you today? She says, You bug me. I said, Wait a I'd never, I have never, this is honest truth, I'd never talked to this lady other than to give her the stuff and say, Hey, how are you doing today? I don't have any relationship with her. She said, you bug me. I said, what? She said, I'm mad at you. I said, what did I do? She said, you are never sad, mad, or anything like that. You. You're always happy, and it bugs me. <laughs> I, I kind of chucked, and I said, really? How come that makes you mad? She said, because I'm having a bad day today. I have lots of bad days, and you never have a bad day. But you don't have to have a bad day either if you give your life to Christ. But here's a lady. Uh, I'd like to say that I led her to Christ that day. I, I, I didn't. I believed that my life sowed seeds into her life that someone come along and was able to harvest. I don't think I've seen her since I left the store. But with that said, there's a lady who I'd never had a conversation with but she was watching me. You don't know who's watching you. And they're just waiting. There's a bunch of videos. You ever see the skit guys? Any of the things the skits, the skit guys online do? You've seen some of the baggage skit. There's a popular one. There's another one, the chisel kind of thing. Anyway, they have a couple now that they've been doing for back to church Sunday. And they're the awkward invites. But there's a couple of them where they talk about, well, they don't really want to hear or whatever. Or they do these, one guy's burying his cat because it died. And all cats go to heaven? No, I don't think that's right. Yeah, that's heaven. That's sure, that's right. You need to come to church with me. I don't think it's like that. <laughs> anyway, but kind of funny. The point is that most of us, even if we invited, we'd be better off. 98% don't even invite inviting church people. Jesus had a whole group of 12 men that he sent out and they had the stuff. They were doing it. How many churches? How many pastors have I talked to? Where they just wish that the people would really take what they have and they'd reach out they'd take what they have and they'd go find the unchurched and they'd deliver them how many times has somebody been here in your church and said you have all the same power that Jonathan and Brownie have and you could lay hands on the sick and you can see them recover how many times have you heard those things then how often do we not stick out our hand and say just take my hand How often do we not step out? He's not talking about brand new guys. These are guys that he's trained and they've done stuff. And they let their heads get in the way. Faith in their heart. But their head had unbelief. Romans chapter 4. Says, and Abraham was not weak in faith. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I have a promise from God. If I reach out, people will be healed. If I reach out, people will be saved. If I reach out. So then Jesus says, I want you to tell this guy about Jesus uh, uh, the stagger of unbelief <coughs> so um, you know uh, well if you might want to ask Jesus maybe I don't want to what I don't even know what you're saying it's because we staggered and then it staggered in all those times that I didn't even say anything through unbelief because my head told me what if it doesn't work heart the whole time is saying, what if it works, boys? Step out. Okay. A study involving more than 15,000 adults revealed that about two-thirds are willing to receive information about a local church from a family member, 56% from a friend or neighbor, And the message is clear that the unchurched are open to conversations about the church. Forty percent of formerly churched adults are actively looking for a church to attend other than their previous church. Six percent would prefer to resume attending regularly at the same church they attended. The largest group, 62%, is not actively looking but is open to the idea of attending church. 62% of those that left church aren't even actively looking. Nah, they're open to it. You know why they're open to it when they took the study? Because they know better than to say, no, I'm not open to it. Why is it that we're a little bit impotent, excuse the expression, in our reaching out? Because we're going to the 62% that aren't even looking. Instead of the, what was it, 82% that say, I'm interested. And then we allow what happened with the 62% to affect our thinking enough that we don't reach out. Am I doing okay, Jonathan? Okay. Sell that to say this, I don't believe that's this church. I don't believe that you're going to be caught. You know, God obviously sent me here with this word. I believe God sent me with this word. So it's either, that either says one of two things. Either some of you are dealing with unbelief or you are about to deal with unbelief. That's safe to say? Okay. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. Now I want to tell you what I believe about you. This is, in this, I was looking for God to give me something for you specifically as a church, just a word to leave you with. And I just, I, I've been up much the night. It was up early this morning, uh, three times. Five o'clock this morning, I just couldn't get back to sleep again. I was up. I was, God, what is that thing? And and while we were in worship, God gave me two verses for you, okay? And so here's the lariat. You ready? All right. Uh, Acts chapter 11, (coughs) verse 26. And when he had found him, Barnabas had just gone to get Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What does a Christian mean? Christ like one. The world looked at them and said, Look. They're just like Christ. Okay, Acts chapter 4. Starting in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done, to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. (coughs) Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing With them, they could say nothing against it. Two more verses. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For they indeed, for that indeed, a a notable miracle had been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Here's what I hear the Holy Ghost saying. I hear the Holy Ghost saying that, and I got to come over and speak to Jonathan, and, and you understand this is for the church. I hear the Holy Ghost saying that this church will be called Christians Christ like ones, doing the same things as Jesus. And that it will be such that the miracles that will come out. Others will look and say, we can't deny it. There's nothing that we can say against them. And even the religious church, they would like to say, but it's not like that. You got to understand, don't you know, sometimes God wants, well, it's not always. They're going to have to say, We can't deny it because of the miracles that are done before us. So this morning, for all of you, a challenge. Why was it that Abraham had the faith? Because he considered not his own body. Actually, the New American Standards, how does it say it there? It says he considered it with respect to the promise of God. And so when it says considered not his body now dead, it doesn't mean that he didn't consider it. He didn't consider that more powerful than the promise of God. Well, I've never done a miracle like that before, Pastor. What's that got to do with anything? I prayed for them, they didn't get out of the wheelchair. What does that have to do with anything? Healing went out of you into them. That lady at Starbucks, I took her hand, I gave her a handshake, I walked away. I didn't say, So, did it happen? Did it happen? Did it happen? She sniffled and she said, You know, like an hour it was gone. The next day, that testimony was there for her. She's already a church girl, but she hadn't been going to church. Guess who's going to church again? Not my church, back to her church. Thank God. You have power resident in you. God wants to work through you. It's His will. He's not going to stop it. The devil, he's not big enough to stop it. The determining factor here is you. So my challenge, fast your unbelief. Fast your unbelief. How do you do that? When you're fasting food and somebody offers it to you, you refuse it. Right? So when unbelief thoughts come, it was Kenneth Hagen used to say, you can't stop the bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from nesting in your hair. So when that thing comes at you, you just stop it, say no, and you begin to counteract that with the Word of God. You begin to go back against it. You push back at it with the Word of God. And as you confess that out of your mouth. You're going to release life into you. You're going to release life into your ministry. You're going to see, I'm believing. I, I believe that somebody's going to get somebody saved before I come back again. And I'm coming back in a week. I'm believing for testimonies to come out of here that you put the unbelief down and you reached out to the lost. Not that you're not doing it, but we have more that we could do. There's a whole bunch of people out there that need Jesus. Jesus. Amen? Amen? I think I'm done what I was here to do. Father, I thank you that you've been here with us. Lord, we're so, we are so great for you. I'm so, I'm so humbled that I could be here today, Father God, and to be with this great people. Lord, you know my heart towards this church. I think this is, I think this is one of the best churches in our nation. I think the highest, I, I think the only way to put it, God, if I went to this city, if I lived in this city, I'd go to this church. I love this church. And Father, I believe that you have a great plan to affect this city in such a way that the believers out of this church are so on fire. And they're so, they're impacting their city so big that people just can't deny it the God on the inside of them. So I pray, Father, that the words that I spoke today that were of you, what all land is seeds in the soil of their hearts, and they grow and produce full maturity in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can Can I give you one more verse? Is that okay, Jonathan? Isaiah... 26 I've got to pull up the right program here. Isaiah 26. I love this verse. But I want to read it from the New American Standard, so I have to pull it up here because... <laughs> it's because I'm in Jonathan's house and I want to honor him. <laughs> so... Besides, I was going to read it in King James, and you should have heard what he told me about King James last night. <laughs> I'm just kidding. King James is good. It's good, too. <laughs> Perhaps they will listen, and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may repent as a calamity. I got the wrong verse. Praise the Lord. Maybe I'm just reading it because I'm not used to that. No, it's not there. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That word stayed, what's that? Is it 16? Who's got it? 26.3. Am I looking at the wrong? I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Let's read it from there. i pushed the wrong button. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That word stayed means settled. I'm so settled in him. You need to be so settled in his word. Then perfect peace... No unbelief. Just perfect peace. All right. Praise the Lord. love you. If there's anything to do, if you want anything else from me, Jonathan, bless you. I love you so much. And we're looking forward to being with you in a couple of, in a week or in a bit. So, bless you.